Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On episode 53 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, we talk about West Ham's disappointing draw against Brighton, assess the Hammers transfer window, and talk about the upcoming Manchester City match before going into some Hammers polls questions and talking about the latest news on West Ham United. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. Welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast. It is episode 53 here. Uh, Another two-man crew, myself and Lou. Lou, how are things over on your end? Uh, As good as ever, which... You know, I guess means not very good. Yeah, in no. the in the West Ham world, that's a pretty low cap on, on how good things are. But uh, we move on. Uh, there's plenty of games left, kind of. Yeah, we've got some just coming up. So, and we will certainly jump into that, especially the the upcoming match against Manchester City. Um, but first, we want to rip the bandaid off and very quickly, but directly, recap what happened against Brighton. Um, I want to I want to cede the talking points to you because I think you have a little bit more to say about this than I do. But um, please let fill me in on your thoughts and your general breakdown uh, uh, about how West Ham fell apart and collapsed and, and what you thought about it. Yeah, I'll try to keep it brief. I guess, like you say, um, the first half, you know, two 0 up, good. I don't think we played that well I mean we did give a fair few chances away to Brighton I think Moy had a good chance and Trossard had a good chance even before we went 1-0 up but going 2-0 up at the break you can't complain really can you no and it's just one of those where you think go into the second half don't concede for 20 minutes and we should be okay just keep it tight and then what do we do what one one two minutes into the second half we commit our first error of the match from Fabianski mm-hmm. the, the last person you'd expect to you know fumble like that and then oof, you know the doubt starts creeping and then Snodgrass you know man of the match uh, I think for everyone really uh, manages to get his second goal of the match uh, another fire another deflection like his first of course but I think both, despite being deflections, were, you know, good strikes. So you can't really take that away from him. So it was well worthy of of his two goals. And then it all started falling apart when Masawaku came on, really. I mean, when Moyes started to make that, or it was was, uh, evident that he was going to make that change, I was doubting it already, even before it already made it, because I was calling for, not a like-for-like like with Antonio, because we've not got a like-for-like like replacement on the bench, but I'm all forward thinking attacking players such as Fanals mm-hmm. or even Lanzini, who we've criticised in the past, just to keep that pressure up on the Brighton defence, because they weren't really doing much. Uh, they had a lot of possession, but in terms of creating chances, they weren't really you know, threatening in such a way. And then Masuaku came on and then within one minute he decides to <laughs> how do you describe that? What what he I mean what I don't know what he was I still I've looked at it back, you know, I don't know how many times and I still don't know what he was trying to do. 
with that infield, you know, just punt. How was that his best option? Um, exactly. I've seen people, a few people trying to, you know, give uh, Cresswell part of the blame for that goal, but I don't personally don't think he did anything wrong. He gave it back to Masawaku, who, like we say, he had much better options, even if it was just to hoof the ball up pitch. It would have released the pressure and we could have reset as a team, but he just put us in danger uh, straight from there, really. But even so, uh, for Ogbonna and Diop not oh. to not to handle the situation, especially Diop, because he he is the one who took responsibility of the ball. Well, he didn't, sorry. I mean, <laughs> he was the, the final person, I guess, to try. I mean, and then he ended up heading it back to Fabianski, but in a very strange way when he could have booted it at least on um, about three occasions. And then from that point onwards, um, it was always going to be difficult to hang on, even if the Murray goal didn't stand because of a possible handball, I think we would have ended up conceding anyway. So that's why I wasn't too annoyed about the decision, even though on... Uh, on appearance now it didn't actually strike his hand so we can't really complain anyway no and that's you know one of the few times where var <laughs> of course when it comes to a handball it's going to flip-flop on us we think oh finally we're going to get some justice and get things called against us the way they're called for us and uh, or opposite of how i'm thinking there but instead var overturns a handball call and it blows up in our face. So, I mean, it's just truly the West Ham way. But the shambolic defending, do you think – you you circled when Mazuaku came on because that was a very important part in the match because yeah, sure. the formation changed to a five at the back. And we saw Mazuaku look really strong against uh, Bournemouth in the beginning of January by coming on – I think it was against Bournemouth. It may have been – yeah, I think it was Bournemouth. He came on as a left winger, and he even played centrally in the midfield. Uh, and he looked a lot more comfortable being further up the pitch. And instead of sticking to that and sort of pushing further up, he came in as a left wing back. And the team just doesn't know how to defend in that system. And it's clear that Cresswell doesn't know how to play as a center back. He plays as a left back out of position. Um, which you don't really want to do, even if you're up three one, and you know the, the lead should be safe at that point. But do you think it was more personnel issues, or was it formation? Uh, both, I think both can uh, be equally to blame. Mm -hmm. As in bringing Masuaku on to do or perform in that specific role, like you say, wasn't a very good idea because. It invited pressure on us. And obviously you can't blame Moyes for the goal per se. But if he didn't make that specific substitution and brought Fernals on instead of Masawaku, or like you say, push Masawaku further up, then that goal could have been clearly avoided. As, a, as, as we found out, as we are now paying the price for it. Well, and, and that Shalotti guy, the, their right back that came on as a sub, Montoya was getting skinned all game by Antonio. He, he should have been on a yellow card about 15 minutes into the game, but for whatever reason wasn't. Um, but he came on and, and looked like, I don't even know, like he, he was looked like prime Arbeloa coming in, running up the pitch, making quick passes, cutting inside, putting dangerous balls into the area. I think it was a matter of the players on Brighton identifying West Ham not knowing what to do down that side and attacking straight down it because they completely ignored Ryan Fredericks and uh, the Diop side and, and went for Cresswell and Mazuak, who specifically lumping the ball over to, to the right side of the pitch or left side from West End's perspective. And it was smart from the players on the pitch there as well from Brighton's side because, you know, th there was the scent of blood was in the water. And, and it, as, as quick as it, as it came, it, it went. And what looked like it was going to be such an exciting, promising match just fell apart. I don't yeah. even know what to say. By the end of the game, I think we were quite lucky to even hang on for a draw. 100%. After the equaliser, we just absolutely fell apart and we conceded two, three, even four very good chances that could have easily been put away. And Fabianski even made a smart save from that free kick. Yeah, beautiful save. A few minutes from the match. 
So <sighs> in a sense, he made up for that uh, error with that. But overall, it was such a disappointing point, and it just felt like a felt like a loss, and did us no favors whatsoever in the league table. Now we're in the drop zone with all these fixtures coming up when we could have not just points wise but psychologically it would have just given us that extra little edge uh, heading into the fixtures and a nice little gap not not so much but a couple of points gap between us and the drop zone we would have gone above Brighton of course Yeah. Uh, but now we really do have it all to do and it would have been at least a momentum push, right? It would have been something swinging in our direction, heading into some tough fixtures here. Do do would you like to stop the bleeding here and maybe switch to something a little bit more positive? Yeah, I think that's good for all parties. I'm I'm, I'm close to tears, anyways. For West Ham fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best West Ham videos and podcasts, download the free C O Y Irons app now from the App Store and Google Play. Uh, so, uh, West Ham jumped into the transfer pool at the end, uh, the transfer window at the end of the, ele- uh, actually, I would, I would say in the 11th hour, they, they decided to make a move, but it was far, far after the 11th hour, um, with an extension filed and a long delay on, on the train service, uh, West Ham finally get Jared Bowen to the, to the London stadium and confirm that he is going to be their final signing of the window. When you heard the links pop up, uh, which was on the second last day as Crystal Palace became linked with Jared Bowen, did you see any sort of... Initially, did you think there was any way West Ham were going to actually follow up on their reported interest and get the player in? I mean, it was quite soon confirmed by uh, X that we were interested. So judging by, obviously, his prestige and knowledge within the West Ham ITK business... Is always quite hopeful when he says it, and not just you know random sources. Uh, but I've been, I've not been calling to sign him, but I've been a fan of Jared Bowen for a while now. Obviously, he's been doing it in the Championship for a, a number of years now for a not so great whole side, to be honest. Yeah. It's not like he's been performing in really good sides. He's been carrying that whole side uh, for two, three seasons. And I think now is his time to step up. And and can he carry a Premier League team is, is basically what we're asking now. That's it, because in a sense he will have to carry us at times probably because at the moment no one else is stepping up for his bar. Antonio, who could break down at any time, and Snodgrass, who plays in a similar position to him. So they both uh, might not be on the pitch at the same time unless Snodgrass potentially moves into a more central role where, which frees up the left wing spot for Bowen which right, will right be wing, right wing, right wing. In, the, yeah, in the right wing sorry where Snodgrass operated the other day uh, but, it was good to see uh, sorry just to jump in there just positioning while we're on it it was good to see um, Antonio start on the left wing as well making room for Snodgrass and, and sort of I mean Antonio's footedness is not going to dictate how effective he is. It's going to be basically him as a speedster down the wing. Um, so yep. yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they how they deploy that there. Sorry, I didn't mean to to cut you off there. Please continue. Um, I don't know what I was saying. Now, to be honest, I think I was just going back to the original question that you made. Whether I thought it was possible that it would come through. I mean, <laughs> on the final. Day, I think it was the Friday. Was it last Friday? Yeah. Uh, it just he he was reported to have been heading down to London in the early morning, and it only got completed at literally the eleventh hour. So there were doubts there, but it was just it was good to see it finally get done, and it is a very positive signing. And you know, credit where credit's due to the owners, they. They clearly uh, want, had something to prove to the fans, but you know it's a step in the right direction. Uh, going back here, I'm just looking at um, at Snodgrass's season with Aston Villa, where he was played. Um, he, he played in uh, 43 games for them. I'm looking at the splits on position here, and of those games, he played 34 of them, 
as a left winger. And right. that season he had eight goals and 13 assists. And I mean, common knowledge would dictate he's a left, uh, left footed player rather than him. Or sorry, he, uh, I'm trying to figure out his footed in this year again. Uh, I believe he's left footed because he always cuts inside to put a cross in on the right wing. So, you know, if, if we're playing with two strikers up top, like Antonio and Alaire, wouldn't it be wise to play Snodgrass on the left side and have uh, have Bowen on the right side to sort of balance that that formation out and, and encourage him to put more balls into the box? Uh, yeah, for sure. His crossing ability is clearly uh, the best we've got at the club, uh, as proved a number of times since Moises has come in, to be honest. And uh, if he was to be played on that side, I think it would, like you say, provide another dimension to our play. As when he is on the right-hand side, he does tend to cut in a lot. And don't get me wrong, he's still capable of uh, whipping in those inward curling balls uh, from that side. But it would be interesting to see Antonio and Ale, you know, both hopefully... Uh, jumping, jumping, and busting a gut to get on to a delivery that they know they can get because Snodgrass is so capable of it. Absolutely, yeah. I think it would be uh, just another another dimension you can add to the attack there. Um, although I do love him stopping back, cutting inside, and, and using his left foot from the right wing to to get a ball in there. Um, how do you rate Thomas Suchek after his first game for West Ham? Did he, did he, you know, pass the eye test? Yeah, I think overall it was a positive performance from him. Uh, the first half, especially, he he didn't do anything spectacular, but he, you could see the difference he was making to Armand Field. Uh, Brighton were finding it uh, a little bit because in the field we usually lose out on on you know first time headers yeah. from both. Of the, of like the goal kicks and free kicks and whatnot, and uh, like second balls. But he he seemed to be winning a lot of second balls, which helped us, you know, main, maintain possession for that moment in time, and progress up the pitch. But as we discussed on the podcast last week, he did drift a lot forward as well, and was like supporting Alaire in that way and. Nothing really fell his way apart from the noble free kick. That was a good header and a good save. But you could see his intentions. And if there's more of that to come, then it can only be a positive for us. And I, I agree, yeah. I was disappointed to see him taken off uh, instead of noble, who just looked absolutely, you know, he, he looked like he was going to collapse by the end of the game. And Suchek still looked like he had some in him. But, uh, you know, it's all hindsight, isn't it? It's hindsight, but I, I agree with you. I think that was the wrong sub. And, and we, we can talk about that Brighton match until we're blue in the face or, or you know, crying. But uh, you're not going to find too many sympathizers with David Moyes. Um, you have to do enough to, to see that game out. But uh, I agree. The substitution of Suchek didn't make sense in my opinion, because like you were saying, he was getting back and breaking up the midfield, winning headers and whatnot. But in the blink of an eye, all of a sudden he'd be putting a, a ball on net with a head when he, when he was just back in, in our own half, you know, winning a ball back or turning possession over. So, or, or turning over possession for West Ham's favor. So it was, it was uh, a, a strong start from him. I think he'd be disappointed that he contributed to that because he was on for, I think two of the, the three goals against. Um, but uh, I mean, you're not going to put anything on him for that. It, it, it's it's that was far more the defender's fault than his in, in any way. Um, lastly, we have Darren Randolph, who was not very I don't know on Twitter. Anyways, he wasn't very well received from the West Ham supporters because it was a recycled name. It was a cheap option. Um, it wasn't a next level signing. He was a former player. All these things, but he did. I think he did as good as you could have asked him to do in his. You know, time when he was a starter with Fabianski out, but I kind of expected to see him either midweek or against Liverpool or against Brighton. But Fabianski played both games. Um, do you see Randolph factoring in much more? Uh, knock on wood, barring any injuries to uh, to Fabianski, or is he just basically going to be a safety net? Yeah, I think a safety net is a, 
a description. Well, there's no cup competitions either, I guess, right? I don't think people can complain too much at the sign, and everyone wanted Roberto out, and they got that. And, you know, Randolph for a number two, I don't think you can really ask for much better, especially with the, you know, the position we're in in the league. And if Fabianski, like you say, knock on wood, does, you know, occur another injury with with within, hopefully not his hamstring or knee or whatever, then I will feel in safer hands than I was with Roberto and even Martin. So I'm um, I'm happy with the signing, and if it's Fabianski number one and Randolph number two for the rest of the season then, you know, I think that's the least of our worries. Yeah, I agree. It's an under-the-radar under kind of signing and one we've all forgotten about because it happened rather quickly despite his world record medical. Um, but, again, it was a positive one, and I think we sort of just move on from that and, and take the, the bonus for what it is. Better training, better in depth in the squad, and, and that's all we can really ask for uh, as far as a keeper is concerned because Fabianski is top-notch when he's, when he's playing despite punching the ball directly into Ogbonda's head. Um, overall, if you were to give the window a ranking out of 10, what would you rate West Ham's uh, transfer window? Um, overall, I'm pleased with it. I would probably have liked uh, another right back, mm-hmm. um, as I think quite a few people would have. But Fredericks returned earlier than expected. And... Uh, you know, we've got a few options there now with Ngakia playing there last week. Um, Zabletta obviously still around. Mm-hmm. So overall, I'm I'm happy with the three signings and I'd probably give it maybe seven or eight. Yeah, I was sitting at around seven as well. Um, maybe six and a half because Suchek has uh, a, re- a relegation clause. Jared Bowen has a relegation clause. Yeah. Uh, Darren Randolph is 33 or 32. Just, you know, it, it, I really like I, Suchek I didn't know anything about until we were linked with them. And hearing he was the best player in the Czech national team, best player in that league right now, is all really positive. And then seeing him play was a great positive as well. So I, I'm all on board with him. Uh, and then Bowen going over the line. I wrote a piece about him coming to West Ham or West Ham pursuing him. I wrote it in November. Um, just basically looking at the championship, who's scoring, and then reading up on him and thinking, like, we could really use someone like this. So, um I, I, I'm really happy that we actually got Bowen in. His release clause is rumored to be 25 million pounds, and I don't know that he would get that from anyone after if if West Ham were to get relegated. So I think unless, we'll see a lot more of them. Sorry, so, on, see on an individual level, you know, Denver Bar style did. did yeah. Really, but yeah, I know what you mean. It would be difficult to fetch that much for him if we did get relegated. Because I think if he's not worth twenty-five million pounds, we will get relegated, and if he is worth twenty-five million pounds, we won't get relegated. So it may exactly. actually be—I'm not a board supporter, but this may actually be a good bit of business from the board as far as that that fee is concerned. Um, but again, we'll, we'll have to see on that. I, I, I really am excited to see him play. I wish it wasn't against Manchester City that we'll likely have our first glimpse of him, but uh, we'll get to that in a second here. Um, again, I, I would have liked another fullback, like you had said. Even even a, a fullback who could play either side. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't have a ton of names, but I, I know that Cedric, who's injured, was signed by Arsenal, and he's initially going to play left back for them when he comes back and then switch over to right back. And, and Ainsley, Maitland, Niles will go to the midfield, I believe. But, um, you know, Cesar Azpilicueta as well plays center back, left back, right back. He plays all across there. Someone with the versatility to do that. And I know, ironically, we have a player in Ben Johnson who can do that. We just need him back as far as depth for the squad is concerned, too. But hopefully that's close. And Ngakia, like you said, did a great job in his debut against Liverpool. Um, he learned very early from a mistake playing against uh, Wijnaldum, I believe, and and looked great after that. So uh, I think despite like everything other than results right now, and tensions between supporters and the board is kind of there's you, you can twist it and squint and see possibly a silver lining, but uh, a lot of work is left to be done here. Um, Lou, the last thing I want your opinion on is West Ham's new managerial duo, Kevin Nolan and Paul Nevin. 
um, which is incredibly hard to read and say because they're like the complete opposite names to each other. Kevin, Nevin, Nolan, Paul, all that stuff. But uh, Kevin Nolan's back at the club and Paul Nevin, who I wrote an article on him today for Green Street Hammers, and he has an extensive history as a manager. I think he started in Fulham Academy in, in 1997 uh, coming to Norwich and Brighton, uh, and then also being in in the England uh, team as a, as a as a coach there. So, I mean, it, it's a it's a crazy list of accomplishments and 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 uh, kind of going under the radar with how important he could be because Kevin Nolan's back at the club. But again, that's a long winded way of me asking. What are your thoughts on the two new coaches here, and uh, do you think they'll have a positive and or instant impact on the team? Yeah, I think it's just great to bolster the numbers in terms of coaching staff because, you know, apparently we only had Moyes, Alan Irvine and a goalkeeping coach, <laughs> uh, which for a Premier League club uh, just sounds implausible. Yeah. Getting these two in is a positive. Obviously, Kevin Nolan, I think when he was here, especially by the end, he was certainly underappreciated by the fans uh, in terms of leadership, captaincy, and just morale of morale of the squad and if he can bring that level of leadership back which is which is what we need at the moment for sure then it will certainly be a positive because obviously he was here for quite a few years he gets the club he speaks highly of the club even in the media I don't know if he was just like gunning for a job or whatever but <laughs> you know he's got that now and hopefully he can get the players to to wear the shirt and be proud to wear the shirt and put in a shift every game. As for uh, Nevin, like you say, he's got a wealth of experience. He's coached at quite a few clubs and England, of course. So hopefully he can bring that experience into the team. And like I'd be lying if I said I knew what his specialities were in terms of coaching, but obviously there's something about him to, for him to have coached for such a long period of time and for so many clubs to, you know, you utilise him in the way they have. So, like you say, apart from the owners and results, it's it's looking all hunky dory at the minute, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, I think you brought up a, a good point there about. Kevin Nolan bringing sort of like the history and what it takes to play for the club and having a love for the club, which is important because people are questioning West Ham's leadership on the pitch. And I think someone like Declan Rice can really take a note out of Nolan's page uh, and hopefully learn from him. But, but again, Paul Nevin is going under the radar here. He worked for an academy in, I think it was Saudi Arabia. Uh, I'm going to look it up here. Um, but basically, he was there, I think, for four years, and his job was to oh, – I got it here. Um, so he worked for the Aspire Academy in Qatar, excuse me, uh, and it says here he was responsible for developing players for Qatar's junior and senior national teams while also being involved in coaching development. Nevin has enjoyed coaching opportunities in Africa, China, Brazil, uh, and a regular presenter. Um, but uh, it, like scouting out players uh, for the junior and national teams – and developing them and also starting in Fulham's academy suggests to me that he has a lot of exposure and uh, a lot of um, a lot of experience dealing with youth players and younger players in general. So it'd be good to see him getting a lot more emphasis and putting it on the under 23s, but also the younger players in the team, the, the Declan Rice's, uh, even Jared Bowen falls into that now, but also Pablo Fornals. Uh, I, I want to see him get his hands on these players and see if he can have an impact because he's clearly doing something right. He, I don't think he has a gap in his CV here. He has one from, from in between Norwich to Brighton, um, from Premier League club to, to Premier League club um, is the only gap he's had. But, I mean, he's been steady working since 1997 as a coach. So um, that's that's pretty remarkable. I, I think he, he could be a real game changer as well. But it's a good balance with, with, uh, with Nolan too. Um, so sorry, go ahead there, Lou. No, I was just completely agreeing with you. That makes for, that makes for terrible podcast content. You have to say I'm a a jerk and I have no idea what I'm talking about. Paul Nevin, get him out of our club. (laughs) 
Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break and fight it out uh, off of uh, recording here. And when we come back, we will jump in and talk about the upcoming match against Manchester City. All right, so West Ham uh, are lining up against the current reigning league leaders uh, in Manchester City coming this Sunday. News broke today that uh, Raheem, uh, Raheem Sterling won't be in the team to face them, uh, much like how Sadio Mane wasn't missed against West Ham for Liverpool. It's probably going to be more of the same there, but I mean, we'll take anything we can get at this point in time. Um, are you hopeful, Lou, that between this game and the Liverpool game, there are three points somewhere in here for West Ham? An unlikely, but ultimately very predictable West Ham win out of nowhere? <laughs> I mean, if we can scrape one point out of the two games, I think that would be great. Uh, I think, obviously, with the form both clubs are in, as in Man City and Liverpool, the most likely being the Etihad at the minute. Um, but isn't it weird that even if we do manage two brilliant draws out of the next two games, we would only end up on the same amount of points as we would have got if we'd just held on against Brighton. Oh, that context is crushing. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry for bringing it up again. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> but uh, if we can come up, if we can come away with the Man City game with a with a draw, that'd be really good. To be honest, when we go to the Etihad, we don't usually uh, go out. On a whimper, I mean, unlike at London Stadium where they usually beat us by four or five. When we go to the Etihad, like, like last season, we only lost because of a Bernardo Silva dive. Yeah. Uh, which was 1-0. I think the season before was 2-1 where the David Silva scored late on and we actually took the lead in that match. So history says that it might not be such a walkover that many, many of us are predicting at the minute. Um, but obviously we've got to be fearful of a potential backlash because obviously last Sunday's game they'll be very disappointed about against Spurs where to be honest when it was 0-0 they missed several really good opportunities and it's unlikely that they will flounder especially the likes of Aguero will uh, flounder that many opportunities again and if they create like they did then we might be onto a hiding but I'll be I'm just interested to see what formation Moise is going to go with because you know based on the recent games away games especially it will be five at the back which I'm not I'm not so confident is the best option against Man City what do you think no, I, I agree with you. I think that I like the idea of playing five at the back, especially because it provides some versatility. But I don't think we have the personnel to carry it out. Um, we need another strong center back. Bob Buena can't really be trusted right now um, based off of the West Brom match. Uh, and Mazuaku and Cresswell don't seem to be able to play together too well. Um, so I think we will see a 4-4-2. And I think we'll see Rice and Suchek play both that defensive midfield and basically make it a like four two two, uh, or no a four a four two four basically with, with almost six defenders back there. Um, that's what I'm hopeful of. But again, like I'm not excited to to go into this match. I always love it when there's football on, especially with the with the winter break coming up. I'm gonna relish every minute of it, but I just don't know how or, or where West Ham get the points here. It could be an inspired effort from from Bowen. I think, if I tip my hand, I think we're going to see Snodgrass on the left, Antonio Allaire up top together, Bowen on the right, Suchek and Rice in the middle, and then the usual back four with Fabianski in goal, which I think would be our best team. Um, but, I, I mean, what West Ham have to do is be hard to break down in the midfield, keep, keep uh, City to the outside, and... Even if you, even if that means seeding possession, because you're not going to have much of a say in that anyways. Uh, but keep him to the outside, and then try and hit him on the counter attack. That that's gonna, and I mean that sounds pretty simple and like our plan usually. But if Owen, sorry, I think yeah. if Owen does start, uh, and Antonio starting as well, I think we certainly have the capabilities to hurt them on the on the counter attack uh, with the form. I don't know who they're going to play at centre-back, but likely either one of John Stones or Otamendi will partner Fernandinho. And I think Antonio and Bowen 
and Allah, if he's up for it, can give them, you know, a unique set of problems. And it's just up to us to, you know, finish when we do get the job opportunities because we likely won't get many opportunities. But uh, if we do hurt them and we get lucky but also play well in defence, then you never know, we could we could be onto something. You got, you got to be hopeful. You got to hope there's something here for it. I'm not as pessimistic as as usual, and I don't know why. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm onto something, but probably just uh, I'll end up crying on Sunday night. Ah, <laughs> uh, so if you were to predict a score in this game, Lou, how would you slot West Ham in? I'll I, I will say two one to Man City. I will stick with the theme of it, the, these specific fixtures being close encounters, but I can see us getting heartbroken in a similar way to the last couple of seasons. Through, and it wouldn't surprise me if it was a dodgy VAR decision that did us dirty again. Yeah, I, I want to say... Oh, I'm going to be stupid. I'm going to say 1-1. One, one. Yes, do it. I'm going to say 1-1. One, one. I don't know why. I, I think... Um... I think we have a team that rises to the occasion playing stronger teams sometimes uh, and then drops the drops the ball when we have an opponent, opponent like Brighton come to town and we switch off. I think that there you know the the mental acuity that's needed to play Liverpool we we certainly showed it in the last you know, last week there. We lost obviously, but we had chances, we missed chances, a lot of chances to be fair, um, yeah. or a fair fair amount of chances. Um, but I think I think we'll see something here, and I think that the importance and the realization that uh, their cushy lifestyles could come to an end, and it may not be if West Ham get relegated, it may not be the Manchester Cities, the Liverpools, uh, the Tottenham's that are coming to buy you. It, it may be the Brightons, it may be the Southamptons, it may be the newly promoted sides that come for you, and maybe a cushy lifestyle on high wages in London is what you actually want to be playing for, whether it's not for the badge, maybe make it for the city here. But uh, I, I think that we'll start to see something because, you know, get on Moyes as you will. He got brought in to do a job on a lot of money and he's saying the right things. Uh, he needs to be better with his substitutions and his tactics, of course. And I think he's learning that, which he should already know, but he's learning that, uh, he's got new coaches in here. He's got new players in here. It's time for a reaction from the players. It's time for them to carry the team to a win here um, or a point or a result or something positive. And I think that that, that can happen. I say one all, but I'm I'm wrong and I know it. I don't know. Why not? I, I was tempted to say one one to be fair, but you <laughs> did it And I think, I think both of us predicting, you know, a non-loss would have sounded a bit weird. So yeah. you, you take that one. You can be the logical one this time around. Um, now, we missed it last week, but let's jump into some Hammers Pulls questions here, and we'll just go back and forth on, on our general thoughts. Um, and I want to start with this one here. It's very topical. Uh, Kevin Nolan is back with Clariton Blue. This question is from Edward James. Uh, do you think he could succeed David Moyes should West Ham get relegated? Yes or no? That's a difficult one, man. Obviously, he's had a couple of stints so far in his managerial real career, and he's done okay. But I don't know if he has the capabilities yet to take that step up as a manager, especially with the pressure on us next season, because we will have to get back in the Premier League straight away in terms of finances and whatnot. And uh, I think it would probably be wiser at this moment in time to uh, get more, not Allardyce, but more of an Allardyce-like figure to not guarantee us getting back up, but, but to give us the best chance possible. Yeah, I, I said no also. I just think that he, if he was part of this team that has the opportunity to stay up and they fail, I don't think, I mean, he's the cheap option, but I could also see the team or the board flexing a little bit more financial muscle than... Uh, you know where Lee Boyer is, and, and bring him in, or the uh, the Cowley brothers as well, and, and give them the the chance at a, bringing a historic club back to the Premier League. So I say no, uh, but I I mean he could be one of those coaches that sticks around regardless of the um, the actual manager in charge. Um, okay, next one down here. 
If results don't improve, what would you do with Moyes? Sack before the end of the season, sack at the end of the season, or see out his contract? Um, Sacking before the end of the season would... I mean, it would sound logical, but who would you even possibly bring in? Maybe even Kevin Nolan <laughs> the last few games, like you say. But uh, it's a difficult one to say, really. I mean, if they don't improve and we carry on losing... I think no matter whether he does stay or whether we bring someone in, we would end up going down anyway. So I'd keep him till the end of the season regardless. And if we do end up going down, I would look to get rid of him and get someone else in. Because I don't think he is the kind of manager anymore that would be able to get us out of the championship because it is it is a lot it's a much tougher league than a lot of people give it credit for. One of the most competitive in the world, really. For sure. Um, a question that came up, and this is on Hammerspool's YouTube page as well. Um, can Anderson, Lanzini, and Bowen all play in the same team? Do you think there's a spot for all four, three of those players, rather? Um, and three players that play different positions, but all attacking, all spread across the pitch, and all with competition in their roles. Do you think there's a, a team that that's features all of those three players? If you change Lanzini to Fanals, then yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know why they picked Lanzini instead of Fanals. I think to for this exact reason here, to say I will to to incite the idea that Fornals is better than Lanzini because he has been this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I would like to see that kind of formation uh, at home to to the likes of Brighton and. We've got we've got Southampton coming up in a few weeks, so that'd be interesting because I would like to see us go all out with the win in those kind of games because a draw is not good enough. Uh, um, yeah, I'm I'm just not not sure whether Moyes has the bottle for that kind of thing at at the moment in time. He he knows that his job is on the line if he doesn't get results, and he's probably a bit tepid and a little bit scared that if he does play that kind of formation then things could carry on going wrong at the other end of the pitch but they are going wrong at the other end of the pitch <laughs> so we have to lose all out. <laughs> uh, yeah I mean if you looked at that team and said okay let's play a 4-2-3-1 with those three sitting behind the striker that's a pretty strong attack right there I think we're missing Anderson more than anyone likes to admit right now because if he's not scoring or assisting, everyone thinks he's useless. Um, I shouldn't say everyone, but but the, the loud minority maybe on Twitter thinks he's useless if he's not scoring or assisting. Um, he balances the team really well in my eyes um, and hopefully comes back from the injury layoff uh, recharged and ready to go. But uh, Lanzini is the, is the one question mark because I like Fornells better than him and I would even sub in uh, you know, another striker to go on top of that formation in lieu of him. Um I did my best 11 moving forward for the rest of the season, and I had Lanzini as a reserve rotation player, not even on the bench, because he literally has not shown any reason to, to be there. Um, all right, last question here comes from WHUTEL. Uh, would you move Declan Rice back to center back? No, because I think we need him desperately in midfield more than we need him at center back. I mean, in a ideal world, it would be nice to try him out for a few games there, but what happens when he is, you know, in defence? Who do we play uh, in in his position? Uh, it's shown how much we rely on him in that position over the last couple of seasons, and we just end up back with a similar situation uh, of what it was before, and it would be, but it would be weakened as he wasn't there. So it'll be Suchek and Noble, I presume, which just isn't enough defensive cover and would, you know, ironically leave Declan exposed <laughs> uh, at centre-back. So, no, I wouldn't. I would like to see him in that position in the future to see what he can do, but I don't think now is the right time for that. Yeah, I completely agree. I think we are a better team in a four-at-the-back formation, and I think despite what they showed us against Brighton, Diop and Ogbonna are fine in that center-back pairing. Um, 
I think, yeah, we're too reliant on Rice right now, but at the same stroke, like he, he's a world-class midfielder. Um, so good on Pellegrini for identifying that and putting him there, but we're, we're far too reliant on him in my eyes here. Um, Lou, the last question is uh, from me to you. Sure. What do you make of the links from West Ham, uh, between West Ham and a potential Saudi crown prince uh, or Red Bull uh, coming back in to buy the team? Uh, what are your thoughts on a potential bid coming in and, and do you think there's any legitimacy to those claims? I mean, the first when I first saw it, man, eyes lit up <laughs> I think that says more about David Gold and David Sullivan than it does about Saudi owners or you know the franchise of Red Bull uh, but if I know it's a long shot off and a long way off at the minute but if owners did come in and start to appease the fans and listen to the fans and sorted the whole stadium out and the atmosphere at the club then it could only be a positive despite you know, supposed ethical issues with uh, a Saudi takeover and the chance of Red Bull naming West Ham, Red Bull West Ham. <laughs> I mean, uh, RB West Ham isn't bad. I mean, when you put it, I mean, <laughs> I'd rather not go there, but uh, as, as we're heading at the minute, it's, it's no longer going to be West Ham anyway with Sullivan and Gold. If they yeah. had it the other way, West Ham, London, or however you want to call us. So, if, if if they did what was best for the club and invested money, because like with new owners, they would do such amazing things, such as you know actually invest in a training ground, so we don't have poor the cabins. I mean, I mean, I'm not. We're not asking for much, are we? But. We don't even want the best players in the world. We just want our tra- our players to train on, you know, you know, uh, viable pitches that wouldn't look out of place in non-league football and whatnot. But I would I would like to get taken over soon, but by who? Uh, it's tough to say, really. Yeah, I I, I would be in for either one of them um, because I think that uh, the current ownership just doesn't have. They're not prioritizing the correct things when it comes to owning the team. Um, they're looking to make money while also running a team, uh, and if that means, I mean, if that means putting the the business ideas first, then then that's what happens with them. Uh, I just don't trust them with it, and I don't trust them moving forward. So, I would take either one to be honest with you. And you know, I I think that I think that there would be something that would be done to save West Ham from being RB West Ham or West Ham Red Bull or something like that because there are so many opportunities with the with the club and sponsorship. Like, the correct owners would come in and would, would push for a, probably an immediate purchase of the Olympic Stadium or would move to build a new ground. What would that ground be called? Red Bull Stadium, Red Bull, Red Bull whatever, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, I mean, I'd have no problem with that because at the moment it's, what is it, London Stadium, which doesn't identify as anyway so it won't make a difference what what the ground is called but like you say as for the name I think the fans uh, the fans wouldn't like it obviously because it would just eradicate a lot of the history of it is West Ham United and I think something would have to be done to be put in place for that not to go ahead and and obviously it's such a big thing thing for them because they've done it with Salzburg and Leipzig, but both those clubs haven't got, you know, the history that we have. Exactly, and I think you know maybe like like we said, like exclusive rights to stadium naming would be something that can be done. Um, exclusive, like right now we have uh, David Gold's company on our sleeve. Put two Red Bulls on the sleeve. Uh, yeah. You know, make you know there's I think Carabao energy drinks or there's whatever and Monster Energy is actually the, the West Ham sponsor for energy drinks. That's yeah. out, and you have Red Bull in there, and because it's your own company, you're able to do that on the cheap and, and get your value out of it. Um, I, I think there are options around it because of the following the Premier League has globally, uh, and like you said, the history of, of West Ham is too strong to overwrite that with a new name. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think that there would be ways around that, and Red Bull wouldn't wouldn't buy 
the club from an ownership that's alienated the supporters so much. So to make a decision like renaming the club RB West Ham or Red Bull West Ham and do it, do it you know, in a different mentality there. Um, I think that they, they're wiser than that. Um, but again, it could just, could just be a crown prince. Who knows? Yeah, but obviously all that's a long way off at the minute. It's only murmurs at the minute, isn't it? Exactly. It's just it's just a pipe dream, unfortunately. We'll probably be stuck with the Dildo Bros for a while. Hey, just like our dreams, those <laughs> bubbles will fade and die. Um, Lou, any final thoughts heading into this weekend here? Uh, are you... Are you looking forward to it? Do you do you just want to see some sort of life, uh, or are well, you ready? I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually going to the match, so Aye. so I've not. I don't think I've got the best record this season, to be fair. But I don't think many people have. So um, I just want to see us put in 110 percent effort. And similarly to the Liverpool match last week, if we show that heart and desire. And there's not really much more you can ask for against, obviously, a, a billion-pound Manchester City All-Stars team. And if they're on top of the game, there's not really much you can do about it. So just don't leave anything on the pitch, and hopefully it will give us some kind of moral, morale and you know psychological boost heading into a little break, probably a much-needed break. I think much needed mentally and physically for the team, but I'm the same as you. Let's hope for something positive, something to build upon, uh, and we will we will again dream of that, and hopefully something comes up to, to move the momentum back in West Ham's favor here. But until next time, uh, we thank you for listening, and come on, you irons. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.